Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Kia ora and welcome to Our Changing World on RNZ National with me, Alison Balance. Takaheo, one of New Zealand's giant, flightless and threatened birds. The current population is just 347, including 100 breeding pairs. Now that's twice the number there was a decade ago, which is great news. The wild population of Takahe lives in Fiordlands, Murchison Mountains, just across the lake from Teano. About 40 birds there carry backpack radio transmitters. The signals from those are regularly counted from a plane using a system known as Sky Ranger. Then, every three or so years, the Takahe recovery team also spends weeks on foot in the hills to carry out a population census to confirm that aerial data and find out if the population is going up or down. The Murchison Mountains, or Murchies as they are often known, are out of bounds to the public, so I was delighted late last year to be allowed to join rangers Glenn Greaves and Nicolette Brown to count birds in historic Takahe Valley. So we're looking for sign. Uh, Takahe sign can, can stick around for up to two years before it breaks down fully, um, but we can tell how fresh the sign is by how much green colour is left in it, so that's both faecal matter and also uh, feed sign, so they, they feed on tussocks and salmizia and things like that. They have a very distinctive way of feeding. Do you want to tell me about that? Yeah, so with the tussock they snip or they pull the tillers out and just eat the very base, the, the, um, the sweet base of, of the tussock tiller and they leave it in, in piles on the ground next to the tussock so we can, we can tell by that how, whether there are likely to be birds in the territory. So we're looking for feeding sign, we're looking for droppings. Exactly, yeah, yeah. And the other thing we'll be doing is, is using callback equipment as well. So once we enter a territory, we'll, we'll play a territorial call. And if there are birds in here, they'll generally respond to that being quite, quite aggressive, quite territorial. Now you've got a dog in here with us as well. Would you like to introduce me to the dog? <laughs> this is Yuki. She's an 11-year-old wire-haired pointer. Um, she's been working on the program for about 10 years now. Unfortunately, it's likely to be her last trip. She's getting, getting a bit old, but this is a fairly easy trip for her to be doing. So we'll be using our eyes, she'll be using her nose. Exactly, yeah. So once we come onto some green sign, then we'll use the dog to actually locate the birds, try and find the nests. OK, I've got my sun hat on, we should crack into it. Sounds good. Now that's the sound of snow under my boots. Although we have a perfect weather day, an earlier storm dumped lots of snow in Fiordland and it hasn't all melted. But mostly we're going to be crashing through tussock and scrub, looking for birds that I've been told will be surprisingly hard to see, even though they're large and blue with a bright red beak. We're heading over to an area where there used to be a nest and Nikki Glenn and I have divided up the hillside between us. And I've dropped the furthest down, and my job is to play takahe calls. So I'll just get out the little loudspeaker system and give a spray of calls. The others have just radioed in to say they found some fresh sign, and it would be quite good if those birds uh, gave themselves away by calling back to this recorded call. 
Way off in the distance, Glen, we can hear two takahe. It's <laughs> pretty cool. It's exactly what we want. We found quite a lot of green sign in here and we weren't sure who it was, um, so we've tried the transmitters. But it's an ex-burwood um, bush, captive red bird. It's been released a couple of years ago. So she's a she, does she have a name? Because I've noticed that some of your birds have names. Ah, they all do, yeah. This one's Timaka. No, it's nice to find um, birds in this territory. Last time this territory was checked in 2014, there was nothing seen, so it's, it's definitely positive. Takahe Valley in the Murchison Mountains is where Takahe were dramatically rediscovered on the 19th of November 1948. A small party led by Dr Geoffrey Orbell climbed up from Lake Teano to the lake that now bears his name. Joan Watson is the last surviving member of that group and here she is with her recollection of that momentous day. And we came out just by the stream with the, at the outlet onto a flat area which was covered by boxwood and snowgrass. Snowgrass was deep, it was right up to our waist, it was huge. Wonderful cover for birds. And Doc said, follow me and don't talk and only hand movements. So we walked only a very short distance through this snowgrass and um, Doc crouched and put, put his finger up to say he could see one bird. So we were all crouching and peering and through the snowgrass I caught a glimpse of the bright red beak. Then he put two fingers up and there was a, a mate, a pair. So with that, he gave us orders quietly to put the netting in a semicircle round and then quietly and very slowly. The birds weren't disturbed at all. We were so cautious and we slowly drove them into the net I looked down there was the bird and I thought I have to do my thing <laughs> so I crouched down and grabbed it I was almost throttling it <laughs> but I wasn't going to let it go it was well trapped in the netting and somebody came along and helped to release it so when you had that one in your hands yes. what were you thinking apart from I'm not going oh, to this is it. I was overwhelmed we've got it, You know, I couldn't believe it and it's a beautiful bird it's a brilliant bird and I agree, Joan, they are indeed a beautiful bird. Now that rediscovery of the Takahe made world headlines. So what's happened in the 60 years since this giant flightless rail was rediscovered? Here's Glenn Greaves again as we take a break from our modern-day Takahe hunt in the aptly named Takahe Valley. It's the longest-running conservation program in New Zealand. It's, it's had a lot of a lot of research and a lot of effort gone in. So, following rediscovery, a lot of people spent time in here trying to figure out how big the population was and what was happening to the population. They quickly found out that the population was was in quite a steep decline. The thought was at the time that that competition for food from deer was was the main issue for them so there's been a lot of effort put into deer control since that time and that, that has made a big difference to the habitat quality. On top of that there's been a real effort to, to increase the productivity of, of the site. They've tried crop dressing some of the valleys. You mean putting fertiliser on? Uh, yeah exactly yeah it's amazing they, they tried to increase the fertility of the, of the tussock. They tried that for a couple of years but it didn't seem to make much difference. They've also done a lot of stoat trapping in here, which has increased to the point now where we've got 3,500 traps across the peninsula, over 50,000 hectares. So that, that's a huge effort done by DOC, and that started in a small way back in the 1970s. 
So the biggest issue for the birds in here, aside from the natural mortality, is, is stoat predation. Now that we've got deer under control. But we're finding now with, with 3,500 traps in, it does make a huge difference. Do the stoats kill just the chicks, or can they kill adult takahe as well? No, they can definitely kill adult takahe, which is pretty amazing given the size difference between stoats and takahe. They'll attack the bird when it's on, on a nest or, or on a roost, jump on the back of the bird and bite it in the neck and hang on until the bird is dead, which is it's a really sad thing. And only one stoat can do a lot of damage. We think it's probably a learned behaviour. So one stoat can walk down a valley and kill up to half a dozen takahe we've seen in the past. What about really snowy winters in here? Is that a problem for the birds? Yeah, absolutely. So this, this isn't ideal habitat for takahe, but the snowy winters and the isolation here also had a positive effect in that the stoats took a long time to come here. So what have the numbers in here in the Murchison's been like over the last 60 years? Through the 50s and 60s, people thought there was up to 400 birds in here, but that was just based on a flyover looking at, at available habitat and, and just saying, oh, there's this space for a pair there and another pair over there. But all the foot surveys tended to indicate that the population has, has peaked at around the 160 to 180 mark. We've never seen it higher than that. In 2007, it, it dropped well below um, 100. What caused that? That was the stoke plague. Yeah, so we lost 40% of the birds in here. Um, 40% in 40% one year? 40% of the population, yeah. Amazing. Wow. Yeah, so uh, luckily we, Doc at the time, had a, had a reasonably small trap network in the centre of, of the population, so around Takahe Valley, where we are now, and Point Burn, Mystery Burn and the Snag. We had 1,200 traps in this area, over 10,000 hectares. The birds within that area, um, they suffered about 10% mortality. Yeah, and it, it really showed that the trapping did make, make a big difference. So since then, the trapping's been expanded to the whole of the Murchison Mountains. I'm Alison Balance. And in this special Hour Changing World feature, I am finding out about one of New Zealand's iconic rare birds, the giant flightless takahe. I'm in Fiordland's Takahe Valley with dock rangers Glenn Greaves and Nicolette Brown and conservation dog Yuki. So we've split up and are walking in a line across the, the flat tussock area. Chances are, even with the wind in the wrong direction, that Yuki the dog will find the bird first. Oh, and they've both stopped and they're gesturing at me, so I'll head across over there because that means they've got a bird and I can just see the dog and she's pointing really fixedly into a tussock bush. found the female on a nest which is really exciting there's at least three birds here which is quite good interesting yeah fantastic so it's probably the the juvenile from last year they often stay with the parents and help them rear the next next chicks in the following breeding season so we've heard the male calling further down the valley and we heard a bird rustling behind us and then saw found the female on the nest so what we're going to do is candle the eggs and just check they're fertile so what does that involve you've got a black hood there yeah, we've got a, um, a black hood which will block out all the light and then um, we've got a LED torch that we hold against the egg and we can tell how old it is. We shine the light through the egg. Exactly, yep. She's obviously been sitting for quite a while. The, the latrine, the pile of poo outside the, the nest is quite large so we should see quite a lot of development. 
So we've got two eggs there. Yeah, we do, yep. So Glenn's got them under the candling hood now. He's just using a high-powered torch just to establish their age. Fantastic. It's another two fertile eggs. They're 15 and 17 days old. Um, yeah, lots of good, strong veins and lots of movement from the embryo. So Nikki's just going to put the eggs back in the nest and we'll shift away quietly. Mum's just sitting off the nest not too far away. Generally the female incubates during the day and the male at night. So they have a changeover around 7pm and 7am. Um, but when they've got a, a helper from last year's clutch, um, it tends to mess things up a little bit so you can find any bird on the nest at any time. Which is really good training for the new bird. So how old will that new bird be when it breeds? Uh, usually three. Um, they can breed at, at two, but they're not usually successful. They're quite often infertile or um, are not very good at incubating at that age anyway. It tends to take them a while, a bit of practice before they get it right. And those eggs were doing really, really well. To get through to that stage, it's looking really promising that they'll, they'll hatch quite happily. Now you've exported a lot of birds in here in the sense that for a long time you were gathering fertile eggs in here, taking them out to a captive rearing centre? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Burwood Bush Take Centre, uh, which is just down the road from Tiana towards Queenstown, that was set up in about 1985. Part of what people were finding in here during the 70s and 80s was that Takahe almost always lay two eggs in a nest, but the second chick struggles to survive, and that's because of the harsh conditions in here. So it was thought, well, that, that second egg is, is wasted, so why not bring it back? artificially incubate hand rear with puppets at Burwood and then foster onto resident pairs at the at the Burwood Takei Centre. And that, that went on until about 2011. Uh, following yeah, spending a year at Burwood with the foster parents, they got exported mainly back into the Murchison Mountains to boost the population here, but also allowed us to populate sanctuary sites around the country like Tiritiriamatangi and Moratapu and places like that. So you've got Takahe now scattered across quite a few islands. How are they going on the islands? Uh, it depends on the island. It's quite quite varied. Uh, the problem that we have with a lot of our islands is that, that the habitat is regenerated back to native bush. So that's excluding Takahe from the, the prime habitat. So it's only really through really intensive habitat maintenance or management that they're managing to hang on to their, their birds. So we're always on the lookout for new sites, but we, we find that the birds do best where it's cold and damp, not so much subtropical. So our best performing site is actually um, down here in the, in the bottom of the South Island rather than up north. So you've got plans for an ambitious relocation coming up though? Mm, absolutely. So we're in a really good position where, where we're making an excess of 40 to 50 birds per year and we're running out of room with the sites we've currently got. The Murchison Mountains is nearly full and as our sanctuary sites are also. So we need to find a new home and the focus of the programme really is now restoring um, wild populations back, back where Takea used to be pre-human times. So we've been looking for quite a while and come up with the Kaharangi National Park in the Goulburn Downs as, as the preferred site. And the reason for that is because it's, it's very similar to the Murchison Mountains in terms of habitat, but the climate is a lot more benign. So the site that you're moving them to in Kaharangi National Park, that's already got a trapping programme underway there? Yeah, absolutely. So in New Zealand, uh, they've, they've put a number of A24 traps throughout the Goulburn Downs. Which are those self-resetting traps? Exactly, yep, the good nature traps. They also do quite regular 1080 drops across across the site. Um, so tracking tunnels have shown that rat and stoke numbers are very, very low at that site. In fact, a lot lower than what we see in Fiordland. 
The establishment of a Takahe population at Goulin Downs on the Hefe Track in northwest Nelson was meant to kick off in August 2017. The Takahe team had got as far as collecting birds from the Murchison Mountains when a long spell of bad weather halted proceedings. The Takahe were temporarily taken to the Burwood Bush Takahe Centre and by the time the weather improved, they'd decided they liked it there so much that they were starting to breed. So the relocation was put on hold and the birds have just spent the summer enjoying a large expanse of red tussock protected by a long, predator-proof fence. Ranger Nicolette Brown manages Burwood Bush and she's off to check in on the birds that will now move to their new home in late March 2018. We've got a pair just over here. Lily and Rerahu. So what can you tell me about them? They were one of our breeding pairs, a really successful breeding pair down in our main pens and we've had quite a few chicks off them. Um, They're at a great breeding age, they're about 12 years old so that means that they're at the peak of their breeding so they'll give the site a really good test because they are good breeders. If they don't breed there's going to be questions asked as to is this an ideal breeding place because we know these are good breeders. So somewhere out there in that waving tussock, it's quite like the Murchisons. We don't have snow tussock here so it's mainly red tussock so it's a little different but it's a good practice ground for them. There's some lovely beech forest on the other side there. Is that important? Yeah, it is. Um, in the wintertime, the birds, um, obviously there's a lot of snow on the tussock land, so they can't feed in the tussock lands. So the birds will actually drop down to the forest line. Um, and there's a food source in there called um, hypolepis or summer fern, which they um, have in the wintertime. That they'll, they'll grub up and eat those roots, and it's a very high calorific food for them and sort of keeps them going through the winter. Also, they get the shelter from the, um, the snow as well. So it is important, yes. So young Takahe chicks have to be trained to feed on all these different food types? They do, yeah. To train them to eat the hypolepis, they have to dig for it. That's not sort of a natural behaviour for Takahe. They're usually they're pulling tillers and eating tussock. So we have a little training pen for them, which we um, move them up with known, um, we call them trainer birds, adult birds that have eaten hypolepis before, and we leave them in this small space for about three days without much food so that they watch mum and dad eating this food and that they finally get the idea and get into it themselves. So how many birds in total have you got here at the moment? Um, we have 90 here at the moment. And 30 of those? are those ones that are going to Gorlin Downs. That's right, yeah. And so who are the other 60? The 60, so we've got 20 breeding pairs at the moment. They are in the um, about one hectare breeding pens, which are a bit further down the hill, um, not quite so um, harsh as up here. And they have one to two juveniles with them, so they're last year's chicks who are helping them raise this year's chicks. And most of them have either eggs or chicks themselves at the moment, so small, small takahe, yeah. So I keep hearing you guys refer to it as the takahe farm, so you really are in the business of churning out baby takahe. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, and it's run exactly the same. We have to um, monitor your food, we have to monitor hygiene. It's exactly like a farm, yeah. And a lot of those farm chores for the breeding pairs fall to ranger Sam Holtain. So today we're going to be um, feeding all of the tarks, and while we're there we'll probably stick around and see who comes out and uh, see if we can count or hear chicks, um, which would be very exciting. And um, sort of keeping an eye out to see who doesn't come out as well, to see whether our females are still on eggs. So cleaning the pond, and that involves a broom. The Takahe pairs each have their own pen because, quite frankly, they don't like close neighbours. But they do like... Water. Sluicing out all of the water out of a pond that looks a bit like a satellite dish. 
anything to keep the water there really. So I try and ring the dinner bell, get someone to come out. But normally they'd come running if they hear the dinner oh, yeah. bell. Now what are the pellets you feed them? The pellets are a special mix um, that we get from Massey University. But it's not the main food source for these birds, they're still no. mostly eating tussock? These guys especially because they've got chicks are really after high protein stuff, so they do a lot of digging for roots. Um, and they do catch and feed the chicks and vertebrates, don't they? Yeah, I think so. Oh, here comes someone. Hey, Jack. Yeah, come on. So lots of clacking of the hopper as they push the lid up, have a bit of a scoff, let it drop. <laughs> you find there's distinct uh, kinds of eating as well. Some are peckers, so he's more of a pecker. And then you get some that are scoopers, <laughs> who just sort of scoff as much as possible in a big sort of shovel-like motion into the pellets. <laughs> Which is pretty entertaining. And then you've got others who want to... They grab a bunch and sort of drop it on the ground and then eat it off the ground. <laughs> so it's quite entertaining. <laughs> so who we've got at the hopper? Um, at the hopper is Hopi, and I think the bird behind them is probably Flock, and Raina will be off with the chick. What do you like about working with Takahe? I love listening to them. <laughs> I love the sound that they make, probably more than anything. And they're so damn colourful. <laughs> Meanwhile, back in the Murchison Mountains... Time has passed, we've climbed up towards the head of Takahe Valley and what have you got in your arms at the moment, is that a juvenile? Yeah, this is a juvenile, or a yearling now. This will be their chick from last summer, so it's obviously stayed with the parents and is likely to be helping them with this year's nest. So Nikki's putting leg bands on? Mm-hmm. Yep, so we have three colour bands and a metal band with a, a five-digit number on it that's unique to the bird and we'll put a transmitter on it as well. So our, our current transmitter sample is, is biased towards uh, captive rare birds and released birds. So we want to, to increase our wild sample. So this is one of the birds when you fly the Sky Ranger and just see who's still alive, mm. it'll be part of that cohort of birds? Yeah, so our target is to have a minimum of 40 birds. Do you want to describe the colour of its feathers to me? Because it's quite gorgeous, it's almost power shell-like. Yeah, it is. I guess it's um, several shades of blue going into green. Greeny turquoise. Okay, so you've done everything you need to do with it? Yep. Got a transmitter on, banded, weighed. Yeah, got a good weight? Really good weight for a, for a sub-adult. Yeah, 2.4 kilos, so it's obviously been in a good territory and has good parents. So you know who one of the parent birds is? Yeah, Parker. 
a male, and the mother is unbanded. So another wild bird. Okay. So we'll let you can go, go back to mum and dad. Yeah. Heddles off through the tussock. What a great two days. How has our overall bird tally gone? I've lost count of it. <laughs> <laughs> We've had 17 birds seen or handled on this trip. Um, and that's up from 13 that was seen last time in 2014. So if things are going really well, how many birds might you expect to find here in the Murchison Mountains? Well, our estimate based on that, that transmitter sample of 40-odd of birds um, suggests we should have around 135 birds in here. In terms of predators, is there a, any mast years on the horizon? No, this has been a mass year just, just past. Um, stoat numbers at the moment are the highest they've ever been since since we've been running our, our trap lines in here. So now is danger period for Takahe. Uh, so far we've only lost possibly two known birds to predation, which is really good. It shows the trapping is, is likely making having a big, big effect. Predator-free 2050 is going to be a really big thing for you if we manage to pull it off. It'll be fantastic. The big uh, block for our, our program is finding safe places to put the birds. We know how to make a lot of takahe, but we don't really have a home to put them. What we really need is wet, tussock, subalpine areas and lowland, grassland areas. At the moment, most of those areas are full of cats and ferrets and stoats, and takahe don't do well with those species about. So getting rid of them would be fantastic for the program. Thanks, Glenn. That was Glenn Greaves from the Department of Conservation. And we also heard from Dock Rangers Nicolette Brown and Sam Holtain. That story also featured Joan Watson, one of the team that rediscovered Takahe in Fiordland 60 years ago. Joan's maiden name was Telfa, and that final young Takahe, which Glenn fitted with a radio transmitter, has been named in her honour Telfa. Nice one. And after their unscheduled summer break at the Burwood Bush Takahe Farm, 30 birds are about to be released on the Heafy Track in northwest Nelson. 18 next week and a further 12 in April, weather permitting. Now the Takahe headcount in the Murchison Mountains in the latter part of 2017 involved more than 70 person days in the field, during which 118 birds were observed, although there'll of course be some that were missed. The latest official count for the number of wild birds is, as Glenn had hoped, about 130. And don't forget that while the Murchison Mountains are off-limits to the public, there are plenty of places that you can see Takahe, including Teano Wildlife Park, Zealandia in Wellington, and Tiritiri Matangi Island near Auckland. I'm Alison Balance, and this Our Changing World podcast first aired on RNZ National on the 15th of March 2018. We are online at rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld and it's worth checking out the webpage to see the photos that go with the audio. If you really like birds, there's an entire Our Changing World bird collection that you'll find there as well. We are also available as a podcast from various apps, including the RNZ app, Apple Podcasts on your mobile phone and iTunes on your computer, as well as Spotify, Stitcher and Radio Public. Check out the other RNZ podcasts while you're there. One of our newest is Your Money with Mary Holm, in which investment author Mary Holm talks with Jessie Mulligan about her top tips for how to make your money work. If you're feeling social, we're on Twitter and Facebook at RNZ Science. Bye for now. Hey, corner mai. 
Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.